This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. I am your host, Stephen App. Really fun show today. We're talking about that big, beautiful center of your digital ecosystem today. That is your .edu. And in particular, we're talking about iterative website design and the pros and cons of, of such a strategy. And here to help me do that is Jason Bazell. He is the Director of Digital Communications at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, uh, home of the Division One Omaha Mavericks. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Stephen, and thanks for the, the shout-out for the Mavericks. Anybody who has a mascot of a Maverick is is okay in my book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're Mavericks, uh, not just our mascot, but kind of the way we're thinking. And I, I hope to talk a little bit about that uh, during the show with you. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to, to hearing about how that ties into everything. Before we get going, uh, tell me where you fit in the organizational hierarchy of the University of Nebraska-Omaha, because every higher education institution, I feel like, has a little bit of a unique aspect to their hierarchy. And uh, so tell me where you fit in as director of digital communications. Yeah, for sure. The, the hierarchy um, can really matter, can it, in higher ed sometimes. Uh, we try to not let that impact us too much. I, uh, as, as you said earlier, my official title is director of digital communications. It reports into the executive director of university communications that oversees our marketing and events and um you know, our graphic design um, and our website and some of our digital communication vehicles. Um, we, have a, we have a really interesting uh, governance process that was created just before I came here that has a committee with vice chancellors, as well as a student and faculty and staff governing body presidents, um, as well as the campus CIO, which is really important. Um, so although I report up to the, the executive director of university communications, um, that digital communications executive committee is really important. Um, the team I directly oversee is responsible for website, email newsletters, social media, web analytics, to just name a few. So um, the biggest of which we support is the website, and that's the one um, that we are kind of known for. One of the things that prompted this episode was you wrote an internal article uh, uh, several months back at Nebraska Omaha detailing the changes that you made to the homepage on your website. And a few things stuck out to me when you wrote that article, including the the use of data in your decision making, which we're going to get to, uh, and I, I think just your comprehensiveness in communicating the changes that were made, or in some cases, you know, uh, untouched, to your internal community at UNO. Uh, I wanted the the main thing though when I read that article was I remember thinking that you had put so much time and effort into just the homepage of your .edu. And in conversation since, I know that that's part of a larger project. Can you talk about that process, updating just the homepage and how it has fit into this larger process of, of getting your entire .edu um, up to date? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, commun- you know, being in university communications, a communication strategy and 
kind of building the why into the internal communication efforts was important to us. Um, so the, the homepage most visible on campus, you know, gets the most attention. Uh, but that was just one of kind of several bigger projects we did. Um, and we have this, this concept of phases. So each year, um, each half year is, is a phase. And the homepage was one of those. So since about early 2017, our, our website was pretty much fully converted to mobile responsive design. Um, but a couple of years later, you know, you come back to it and what you did before you learn um, from analytics and from user experience. Um, maybe we do it a little differently or maybe we can take that and make it a little bit better. Um, so all the users were, had to, you know, with our old homepage, all the users had to use the top navigation or the footer. Um, a lot of the top tasks weren't there because we were so focused on news and events, which was, you know, five years ago, just getting that first homepage up. That was the big focus. But um, we had we had learned a lot and uh, it was time to make an update. So there's some other pieces around the website, too, that aren't as visible that are being done iteratively. Um, but this one was obviously one that needed some extra communications and rationale. And I, I think you ended up seeing that uh, shared on the Web. You mentioned in your answer that you work in phases. Uh, tell me about when you started working with this process, with updating the website in phases. Yeah, so um, this this really began in 2013. Um, we didn't have we didn't even have a CMS then. It's hard to believe, um, and we didn't have a system set up for uh, maintaining the website or or doing projects. So. Really big credit to, to my boss and the, and the CIO here of uh, bringing the campus together. And uh, we, we could have waited, you know, three or four years and tried to make the perfect website, um, done a ton of work on the CMS. But with, you know, with websites, um, sometimes they can get mired in that that political game of, of what it looks like and who should be in control and what should what what should the website look like and then it never gets done so the phased approach was something that the the digital this executive committee that i mentioned earlier uh, really bought into we started with the with obviously some of the college websites and then other key things like admissions content obviously the home page and the top level pages and uh, they just started knocking them off one at a time um, so they even went live before we had a cms with some some responsive design pages um and it was really a way to make some quick wins, make a splash, show that it could be done. Um, and so was there some cleanup after? Yes. Was it easy? Not necessarily. But it did help push things ahead and, and not get stuck hoping for that perfect solution. Um, so I think this really worked well with where we were at um, a few years ago. And it helped us kind of build out and formulate processes as we go. And it helps us now that we're coming back to the, the work that was done a few years ago and to try and make it better, again, more iteratively more phased approach than trying to look for the perfect solution every time, especially with our limited resources. Yeah, I find that really interesting. And I know, I mean, obviously the homepage, you know, politically, uh, from an analytics perspective, I think you mentioned just that that first uh, impression that a homepage can make. I mean, the homepage is a big deal on a .edu. So I can imagine that that's a big prioritization when you're talking about this iterative web design and, and tackling everything in phases. I'm curious for other elements of your website. I mean, how are you and your team deciding what aspects of the site to tackle? Is there a master task list? Is there a, you know, I know in many cases it's just whoever's talking the loudest. Do you have a particular campus stakeholder that's voicing their opinion and, and forcing changes through? How are you deciding what and when to tackle? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, there, there's a, a bunch of different people who are always kind of pushing for better websites or, or their piece of the website to get looked at. A couple of years ago, when we had a kind of a dedicated project manager to that conversion project, we built a spreadsheet kind of scorecard together. And we were taking ideas from everyone, um, ideas from myself, ideas from my team, um, ideas of across the campus of projects that should be done. Um, and we started to kind of prioritize and give more points to ones that focused on top traffic or top tasks. You know, did they align to our strategic goals? You know, did it help students? Did it help faculty staff? Did it was it going to maybe create revenue or save money? And then that kind of gave us a, a list in order of what we could maybe, you know, pick pick five or six of these with that with that executive group that I mentioned and, and let them kind of say, you know what, no, focus on this or yep, you're on track, keep do this. Um, it created a large backlog for us, which has been helpful now that the conversion project has ended and it's kind of helped us pick a few um, projects that maybe people didn't know about or weren't pushed for. Um, everything's now um, a 2.0. So we just had homepage 2.0. Uh, you know, we've done a lot on our news and events uh, section. So that's like news 4.0 now. So it's, it's kind of like product releases, but more focused on templates and content types. Um, and I, yeah, I just can't overstate the the executive committee has been really helpful helpful for us with just keeping us on course and, and making sure that they're up to date with where we're going next. You mentioned that you you have a sizable backlog. How long or how far out, I should say, are you planning your projects on that backlog? How how you know far out are you be able to say, okay, this item on the list we're going to tackle on this day. It's going to take this long. Talk me through some of that timing. Yeah, we um, we do six, kind of six-month roadmaps. So we're, we kind of conservatively build out um, room to say, you know what, during this six months from January to July, um, we're, we're committed to these two or three projects because we know there, there's always kind of ones that pop up and get slid in there. Um, so we kind of build out some space and for, for those things that kind of get thrown onto us, like you said earlier. Um, the whole phase takes about January to December. And with the backlog we have, we have a couple pages worth that could extend out to a couple years from now. I, I, we, oh, don't wow. even, we don't even really, we don't even really focus on that necessarily. Though it's just what can we do now based on our current workload, current projects that we have going on, um, and you know the backlog's just we'll get to it when and if we get to it. Um, I guess it kind of resembles that agile approach. Um, we don't really call it that. We just kind of. We just keep picking off projects as we go. Um, yeah, I, don't, I guess we've never really thought of it like that. Like how, how many, if, you know, the full list of backlog projects, how, how many years or months would it take to get to? We've never really, um, we've never really thought about it like that until you just asked that question, actually. See, I'm glad. This is why you joined the hashtag higher ed podcast. Eh? <laughs> that would be, an, that'd be interesting to look at if, if we put those, you know, with our IT team and with some of our content uh, folks, like how long would it take to actually do all the projects that we have so far kind of um, identified? Like how long would that take? That would be interesting. Hey, podcast listeners. If you're anything like me, you've likely found yourself listening to more and more podcasts lately. And if that's the case, you're not alone. Recent research shows that 26% of Americans now listen to podcasts monthly. That's higher than the percentage of Americans using Twitter. 
For many podcast consumers, the rise in podcast popularity has led to dreams of producing a branded podcast for their own institution. Unfortunately, the road to planning and producing a podcast isn't as straightforward as consuming one. Luckily, the team at eCity has just released a new ebook that details the aspects of podcasting that you need to consider before pressing the record button on your own show, as well as how to ask for help if you're struggling to get started. Grab the ebook now at ecityinteractive.com/resources. That's ecityinteractive.com/resources. And as always, thanks for listening. Jason, you mentioned that you work very closely with information technology and, of course, you know other groups on campus. When you're working in this fashion, um, iteratively, I, I imagine that internal communications is really crucial. How are you communicating across offices to, to stay organized within your extended team? Yeah, yeah. I think the ma- at the macro level, I, I've kind of touched on that that committee um, that, that executive level. And we have a couple, um, through our campus newsletter, um, I make it a point twice a year that we do an update to campus, but that that's at kind of a really macro level, like what projects we completed, you know, here's our roadmap, here's what we're going to work on. Um, at the, at the, what I would call the micro level or the day to day, um, our, our digital team or our web team, it's, I, I would consider there's about three of my staff from university communications with about three from uh, information technology, they're called ITS. Um, they meet every Thursday to go over um, tickets and, and upcoming projects. Um, our team in and of itself uses Slack. I know the IT team does too. So that kind of, you know, the back and forth, we try to stay to tickets. We try to stay to, you know, stay on task because you can get sidetracked through email so much. But, you know, every now and then Slack helps us helps us with that. Jira is our ticketing tool. So that allows us to collaborate both with ITS and then also with our users who are requesting, you know, maybe it's not a project. It's a, it's a ticket into us to, to make an update or to request maybe a change to a template. Um, the meeting, I can't stress how important the meetings in person are though. When, when a couple of those get postponed or we can't meet, uh, really, it really impacts our timeline. So, um, as much as you can have Slack and tickets and, and do the tasks, those those kind of regular meetings, at least once every other week, are really important. And it helps the the two the devs, designers, and then the content and project managers get together. And um, that started five years ago with the web conversion project. And they've changed a little bit, but it's really helpful um, to have those regularly um, to stay on track. And I imagine... The, the backlog helps, and I'm, I know you kind of mentioned almost a lead scoring system of the tasks or phases that you're approaching for sprints, but I imagine, you know, with so many different stakeholders, you must have a lot of jockeying for position to get to get their project bumped up higher on the list or get it addressed sooner rather than later. How are you engaging campus stakeholders just in terms of prior, you know, project prioritization and, and helping everyone manage expectations? Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about that, that kind of the Mavericks, not just as our mascot, but uh, there's just a, we're such a lean organization here. This is my third institution. And, um, and I really big credit to the leadership of that executive um, team, as well as my boss and the CIO, there's just a real focus on uh, strategic goals and outcomes. And we haven't had as much of a hard time with this as, as you know, so, some experiences I've had in the, in the past where you, maybe have, you know, some hippos, um, 
you know, highest paid person's opinion type pet projects or, or, or events where they're requesting custom templates. Um, just the, the leadership we have here and, and Omaha's mentality to, to be results focused has, has helped with this a little bit. So um, I actually have a, a little bit of a flip challenge is to make sure we stay, you know, with the homepage, nobody was asking for a new homepage. Nobody's, you know, asking for accessibility upgrades. Nobody's asking for custom, um, you know, better designed or necessarily like in the weeds user experience um, improvements. But um, those are the things that we really have to make sure we carve out time for and, and make sure we're putting those on the roadmap ourselves. Um, again, I, I mentioned this concept of maverick thinking. It's our nickname. Um, because we're so lean and so different, we have to, we have to really work a lot smarter. Um, and that's where the roadmap comes in. That's where focusing on the users comes in. I, I think it kind of permeates through everything at UNO and the website's just one example. Jason, in terms of, you know I, know, I know you just mentioned the the homepage and how that wasn't actually on your backlog of website tasks, but something that you felt like needed to be addressed. I'm, ter- you know, I'm curious about how you're communicating, or I guess in some cases, maybe the, the better word is how are you advocating uh, for changes to the website that you'd like to make? Because at the end of the day, a change that you want to add on to this backlog is going to push a previously identified project down the list. So I'm sure uh, that's a delicate balance. Yeah, yeah. I think the, um, yeah, I can't overestimate the the value of that executive group. So, you know, towards the end of the year, um, when we're kind of finishing off a phase and a, a group of projects, you know, October, November, December, we start talking, you know, okay, in January, uh, January, February, we're going to start a new phase. Um, and we, and we show user experience, um, some user testing things we've done. We, we look at click maps. I show them a little bit of analytics and kind of helps build the case for, okay, Hey, you know, maybe we need to think about a new homepage or maybe we need to update this template. Um, and it really, and they're all in the room. Again, I can't overestimate the power of getting, getting people in the same room, especially at the highest level. Um, and, and really walking them through why that something that may not be requested should be on the roadmap. Um, I guess, again, can't underestimate the power of support from, in our case, the senior vice chancellor who chairs that committee. Um, some, some people's cases that might be a provost. Um, it's just so critical. Um, and then we've, we've got some people out on the ground too. So all of the colleges have a, a lead communications person who kind of acts as a point on the website. And, and there's a bit of a back and forth there as well. Um, so between those two at the highest level and then at the dean's level, I feel like we've built kind of a, a partnership um, so that the projects that are requested, hopefully the ones that really matter and are important to the institution get on the roadmap, as well as a couple of these um, that might not be on the radar of, of the organizational focused um, folks uh, on campus. I know that you mentioned when you were talking at the end of the year, when you're having these uh, executive leadership committee meetings that you'll uh, you, know, you reference click maps and analytics and um, a lot of what I'm hearing is data. Every time you say that, I'm hearing data and numbers and building a case. How are you deciding which data to collect on your website? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have we have Google Analytics. I I'm passionate about you know Google Analytics and I come from kind of a market analytics background with previous jobs. So um, we don't, we don't have user-based tracking set up through universal analytics, but it's, it's all kind of aggregates, but you start to figure out, you know, where people are going, what are the top tasks on the website? Uh, We've got macro goals like 
admissions applications and campus visit requests, requests for more info, those admissions goals. Um, we've got some e-commerce tracking on our bookstore as well as um, the camps that we, we host for kids um, in the summer, you know, a lot, of, a lot of summer camps in the summer. So those are kind of our macro ones that we're, we're tracking. Most, most of these website tasks, you can pretty quickly and easily see what are the top tasks um, just from some aggregate um, Google Analytics tracking um, at a high level. Um, and then we have done some remote user testing, um, which is really helpful too. So when they're looking for majors and programs or they're, they're looking for something on the homepage, that's really helpful. Um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned Crazy Egg earlier. It's a, it's a visual heat mapping tool. Those are always helpful to just, you know, you're able to, you know, with a one pager say, hey, look, look at where everyone is clicking on this page. Maybe this is a place we should focus our efforts on. Um, so a combination of kind of user testing, user feedback, um, those data points, it all kind of fits together and tells a story for hopefully not only what we should focus on and work on, but how, you know, what the template should look like or how can we help users um, get things done quicker and easier. Yeah, I mean, do we get to a point where you have too much data? I mean, how much data is too much data? You know, and and I ask because you know I wonder how do you balance making an educated decision but avoid you know getting lost in the weeds when you're trying to evaluate so many different sources of data? Yeah, it it can be really easy. We see that sometimes with our with our clients who request access to Google Analytics or want to look at crazy egg if, if you don't have some experience or some knowledge you can quickly get down a rabbit hole and spend hours and hours digging through the data which is fun um, but again we have so few resources at UNO and so little time to focus on this the challenge is kind of finding time to do that um, I'd say that, again this is kind of my third institution so I've I mean you as a you know in an agency environment you're probably you start to see patterns and I'm seeing patterns um, and I'm, I'm blessed to have seen these over and over again, where you can see that things haven't changed a lot when it comes to user behavior. Um, the devices have changes, changed, the layout and design is a lot different than it used to be, but the top tasks really haven't changed. So, um, you know, finding people, finding programs, finding admissions info like housing and financial aid, um, some of the HR policies and obviously your job postings. Those are things that we know from user testing and just personal reviews of our website. Those, those there's enough projects there to keep us busy every day. Um, so we we kind of focus in on that that data and those user tests related to those big top tasks. Um, we've got a, we've got a huge plate that doesn't even involve just the website. Um, so between those, that keeps us busy enough and uh, keeps us kind of focused on where we should focus our efforts when it comes to analyzing the data and the website. Hey everyone, the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast is part of Connect EDU, a podcast network bringing together brilliant minds in the higher ed space and breaking down silos. You can check it out at connectedu.network where you can find great shows no matter where you work on campus, as well as resources for first-time and long-time podcasters. You can also follow along on Twitter at connectedupod and hashtag connectedu. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the benefits and drawbacks to this iterative website design process that that you're doing at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. 
And I know, Jason, one of the major benefits that you've talked about is that you can do a lot of your work in-house. You're a lean organization. You know, why is that so important for Nebraska-Omaha? Yeah, I, I mean, like, like you were kind of getting at, I mean, the, the simplest answer is we, we've had to. We've been forced to. Um, we don't have any uh, permanent budget outside of our salaries. Um, again, great support from leadership. You know, when we've done some user testing, some of our paid um, analytics like Crazy Egg, uh, the odd survey. Um, but we really here at Nebraska and, and the city of Omaha just pride ourselves on that that hard work and get it done attitude. And um, again, third institution I've been at, and I've never seen it anything quite like this. Um, we're, we're trying to build in budgets. We're trying to bring bring some permanency so that we, we can start to, um, you know, look outside and, and maybe, you know, analyze things a little better with, with a, a permanent budget. Um, things like customized search have been on our backlog roadmap for a while, doing some journey mapping, task research. Um, but for now in the budget environment we're in, um, in this state, uh, I have, our staffs have really stepped it up, both IT, my staff and university communications um, outside of our teams, but obviously that can't last forever. Um, I have this this idea, just like I feel like responsive design and then that whole concept was kind of a big thing that led to a great change when it came to our websites in the last few years. And I keep kind of wondering to myself, like what is going to be that next big thing that's going to force us to, you know, change CMSs or do another big project. For now, we're, we're doing it iteratively and and we're, we're picking pieces that really are making good progress, but I do kind of wonder what is going to be that next big thing that really takes the whole team to come back together again and and change the website. With this iterative web design, when you're tackling sections of the site piece by piece, are you ever concerned about unintentionally creating a Frankenstein website where the site lacks consistent branding and, you know, just one section doesn't feel like it belongs with, with another? How do you try to avoid that? Yeah, I mean this is the this is the the downside of the the iterative approach like you mentioned. So I mean we are so lucky that we've had great partners in ITS. They have two front-end developers where that's their passion. Um, they've been here all 5 years since we started this project. So really lucky that you know we've had some consistency and stableness there that they're able to compare and contrast um, the designs and the templates they're doing. Um I mean, I think this is happening in all higher ed websites. I mean, you give colleges their own templates or they maybe have a Devon design team and all of a sudden you kind of have this disjointed um, template environment where it looks like 20, 30, 40 different websites. Um, with, with the governance we've set up and with our collaborations with ITS and kind of our structure, I, I feel good where we're at. Um, but it definitely is something that keeps me and I know others up at night that we want to make sure we maintain that consistency. Um, I think I think you really need to focus on that when you find and hire new people that they value that because it's so easy in higher ed, you know, no matter, even if you're not doing it iteratively, if you're doing big projects where you're doing, uh, you know, templates across the whole institution, it's really easy to let your guard down. So that's definitely something that we're thinking about. And eventually, you know, maybe maybe it'll be time. Uh, I kind of hinted earlier, like the next big thing. When it, when is it going to be time for an, a, a new overhaul to just make sure that that consistency is is there across the board? You mentioned a few minutes ago. You said, you know, we have a lot of projects on our plate. It's not just the website. 
Uh, I'm wondering, have have you have your has your team been able to kind of take this iterative design approach and then apply it to other areas, you know, and other responsibilities? How are you becoming more agile in, in all of your other tasks that that aren't maybe particularly website related? Yeah, yeah. I think when we when we shifted out of that web conversion project, um, there was a lot of stuff that we still had to do that wasn't web related. So um, we weren't able to necessarily hire new staff, but we had staff that maybe were able to fill in. So, for example, you know, our content manager who also does social media, um, she stepped in and, and kind of re-engineered some of the functions around uh, requesting stories for our internal newsletter. Um, we had our CMS trainer, our content management system expert, um, she's been able to hop on and be kind of a product owner for our mobile app project. Um, we even had a content strategist who's helping write some marketing materials for print or for, for emails for our CRM. So um, I think this agile being nimble approach, iterative, um, it has been helpful with such a lean team um, that, that we utilize their expertise, not for just stuff on the website, but for other things um, and then it, it kind of helps with that consistency um, that we want on the website. It kind of spills over into some of our other channels. Um, that, that's been a helpful part, um, that the team is flexible and is iterative and that they can work with others on campus. Um, but we're always, we're always open to having, having some more budget and uh, more staff to help us um, with the never-ending backlog. Well, maybe, you know, you've mentioned this next big thing. You've talked about it a couple, a couple times, and maybe that's the thing uh, that you know gives you more budget and gives you a bigger team, but I'm curious to know because you've mentioned this a couple times. I mean, is there anything specific in your mind when you talk about kind of what that next big thing is? Yeah, I mean, I, I we we kind of talk about it here at UNO, and I know across the, the Nebraska system as well, um, just about how content is attached to pages, um, or even you know, there's content out there in external systems that aren't even in the CMS, so. Um, my team kind of jokingly calls me the block guy. Um, all blocks, no pages. They they kind of joke someday we'll have no you know no pages. Um, it it kind of takes some outside thinking, and it'll take I think a huge initiative. But we've kind of gone from a place where we had an entirely coded website where you had to log in you know and, and do the code to a CMS, and then we had a CMS, and maybe we changed CMSs or we. Um, converted into into a new CMS, into responsive design, for example. Um, so I'm wondering if the next take, and, and I know this is a big talk in, in the website world, is, is going from res- responsive design to something that's more modular, pulling from, you know, authoritative content from a variety of systems. Um, that's, I, I just, you know, I wonder if that's kind of the next big thing that will really take us to rethink, um, you know, maybe this iterative approach to, another big project where we, we get a team together again and, and really start to hammer out a, a new way of doing things. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, definitely time-saving if you could enter in your content into these modules and, and place it where it needs to, to go. Um, I wonder about the search ramifications of something like that. Yeah, I mean, we would, this is why it would take a, a huge project to think through that and make sure that, you know, how, how, how is it, how is it behaving in search? You know, if people are using search or if people are, you know, not just the management of the content, but also people trying to consume the content or complete tasks, um, personalization, um, that that's something that's going to take significant effort and some thinking around how the content's managed, um, versus right now, a lot of content is still on, on page and linked to a specific page. Um, 
So I, I'm curious where this will go and, you know, how soon will we be kind of forced to, to think through what, what that next big thing is. And, it, you know, when we did responsive design and the mobile phone was coming out, there was really no question, hey, we need a responsive design website. I wonder if, I wonder if this will be the next thing, like people will be silly if they don't, um, or maybe it'll be more under the hood and it'll be a thing that, that a lot of people won't see. I, I don't know. I, I'm curious what will be um, the next thing that we're all really big working on across higher ed, across um, website, website management. Hey everyone, a quick shout out to the agency that makes this show possible, eCity Interactive. You know, I really do love coming to work every day at eCity, and that's not just because everyone shares my love of donuts, uh, but that's really because I get to collaborate with a talented team working on everything from user experience to content and digital marketing to web design and development and a whole lot more. Our work has earned us an incredible roster of education clients, including the University of Pennsylvania, George Washington University, Petty School, Cornell, Drexel, Rutgers, and many others. So if you're looking to improve your web and digital presence and better communicate your school's story, visit us online at ecityinteractive.com and get in touch. Well, Jason Buzzle, thank you so much for, for joining the hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Uh, before we go, you know, make sure our listeners can find you, follow you, ask questions, disagree on the next big thing, whatever it may be. Uh, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, I have kind of a funny uh, at Buzzlelinear, uh, B-U-Z-Z-I-L-I-N-E-A-R on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, there's a funny hockey story around how I got how I got that nickname, and I, I gave away the ZZ on my Canadian background. But, yep, find me there. Tweet me, Facebook me, disagree with me. I'd, I'd love to hear from everyone. And the higher ed web world is a great place to be. And um, thank you for, for reaching out and talking to me today. Yeah, the higher ed you know, web community is incredible. Uh, I mean, speaking of that, I guess that segues into this last part here. Uh, which is, you know, each episode, of course, we ask our guests to give a social shout out to a colleague or individual that deserves more recognition of their work. And Jason, I know that you came with, with someone in mind. Yeah, I, I uh, mentioned my Canadian connection, um, being a Canadian citizen as well, even though I'm down here in Nebraska. So I got to give a shout out to J.P. Rains. Um, I saw his presentation um, at a conference on acquiring a, a, a bigger budget for web and digital. So um, fellow Canadian, good good Sudbury guy, and I uh, got to give a shout out to JP underscore Rains R A I N S um, at at JP underscore Rains on Twitter. Uh, good follow, good guy, and uh, is really active in the in the community. Yes, yeah, so excited to hear you say JP JP, who was a guest on this podcast in season one. So as soon as you're done listening to Jason. Uh, you know, wax poetic on iterative web design. Make sure you go listen to JP who talks about user journey mapping uh, back in season one. Well, Jason, one more time. Thank you so much for, for joining the hashtag higher podcast. This was a great conversation. I really hope you can connect in the future and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what the next phases are for the university of Nebraska, Omaha website. Yeah. Thanks. And I'll have to, I'll have to go check out that, uh, that one with JP. I, I haven't heard it yet. So, uh, Thanks again, Stephen, for having me. And uh, I'll look forward to following you as well on the, on the podcast. 